Welcome to Abiding in Christ. Acts 17.28 says, In Christ we live and move and have our being. This program is designed to instill in you that all your needs are met when you put Jesus Christ first in your life. Listen now to the Holy Spirit as a Bible teacher and host, Leisha Cantrell, reveals the Word of God. Have faith in God constantly. We're in Mark 11, 22 and 23. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God constantly. Truly I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. The first of these was a lesson about faith. Be having faith in God. The drying up of the fig tree had amazed the disciples. Jesus wanted them to understand that the truly amazing works are those done as a result of exercising faith in God. There are no limits on what can be accomplished as a result of one's faith in God, simply because there are no limits on what God can do, and human faith provokes God to act. Mark 10.27 has already insisted that with God, all things are possible. A key factor in this promise lies in the words, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. The verb doubt in Greek means the same as wavering as it does in James 1.6, linked with double-mindedness in verse 8. In other words, the condition for receiving what one prays for is faith, clearly stated, not implied. Then whatever a person can express in unwavering faith will be done. A conviction based on understanding the word and character of God and prompted by the Spirit of God. In other words, such a person both believes that God can do it and believes with justification and therefore correctly that God has commissioned him to do it. So the application to prayer in regard to faith, therefore I say unto you, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believing God, faith in God, means putting full confidence and trust in him. The prayer of faith about any matter we desire to accomplish is a prayer guided by the Holy Spirit. Only as he gives us grounds to ask can we ask in faith. All things you ask for have come to faith and are believing that you are receiving. Even if not manifest yet, you shall receive. In other words, Holy Spirit has brought you to faith in prayer and it will be yours. It will manifest. So it's the Holy Spirit that brings us to faith. It isn't just something God leaves up to us. In Mark eleven twenty-two and 23, in the morning as on the previous day, Jesus and the twelve were going from Bethany into Jerusalem. Along the way, they came to the fig tree on which Jesus had pronounced judgment the day before. They observed that it had completely withered and was lifeless. From ground up, Simon Peter recalled the incident and what Jesus had spoken to the tree. Look, Rabbi, he said, the fig tree on which you pronounced a curse has withered away. Jesus saw in this opportunity for some closely related lessons about faith, prayer, and forgiveness. Be exercising faith in God, he said, proceeding 
to give an extreme example of what one might accomplish by faith. If one of them should declare to the mountain on which they were standing that it should be lifted up from the earth and cast into the nearby sea, and if he were to do this in unwavering faith, then what he asked for would be his. The necessity of faith clearly implies that assurance about the thing prayed for must be grounded in the word and ways of God prompted by his spirit. Consequently, Jesus added that whatever they should ask for in prayer with full faith that they were going to receive it. It would be anything at all against anyone. It would be theirs. And whenever they prayed and remembered that they had anything against anyone needed to forgive, they must forgive in order that their Father in heaven might forgive them and thus provide for them to be in a right relationship with him and expecting an answer to their prayers. Faith is a believing response to anything God says. And when what he says is a command, faith includes obedience to that command. The faith required for the doing of mighty things includes some important things, a conviction that comes from God. For example, it must be a confidence that one is justified in having based on God's word and his work. One speaks to a mountain to move it in faith only when God has decided to do so and by his word and spirit brought on the person the correct and justified conviction that he or she is the person to speak in faith. Thus the key to answered prayer is faith. Have confidence and exercise faith. Trust in the Lord. Faith has an elevating influence upon the moral character of those who exercise it. The Lord is worthy of their confidence. He is omnipotent and cannot fail. He is faithful and will never forsake. We may therefore confide our life, temporal circumstances, reputation, and the government of the universe to him, knowing that he will order all for our ultimate spiritual welfare. Trust not in men, not even in yourself. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The joy of the Lord is our strength, both in sorrow and in service. God delights in his children. Faith inspires delight. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Roll and repose everything upon him. Each of your agonies, the load that you carry, your doubts, your fears, your feelings, and trust and rely on him and be confident also in him, and he will bring it to pass. John 15, 1 through 7, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine keeper. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away, and every branch bearing fruit, he trims it clean to bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Make your dwelling in me, and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it dwells in the vine. So you cannot unless you dwell in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The person who dwells in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, so that apart from me you can do nothing. And with me you can do whatever I desire for you. Unless someone dwells in me, he is thrown out like the branch and withered, 
and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned up. If you make your dwelling in me, and my words come to dwell in you, ask whatever you want, and it shall be done for you. In this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Just as the Father loved me, so I loved you. Make your dwelling in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will dwell in my love, just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and dwell in his love. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. In the last of his seven I am statements, Jesus says that he is the true vine. With these words, he introduces an allegory to explain the relationship which will exist between himself and his disciples after his return to heaven. Jesus is saying that he is actually the genuine true vine, the personal embodiment of the purposes of God. It should be noted that Jesus identifies himself as the vine, the whole plant, including the branches, not just the trunk to which the branches are attached. The branches are actually part of the vine. Christians are actually a part of Christ. Every branch in me that bears not fruit he takes away, Jesus says, and every branch that bears fruit, he, pr he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Continuing his allegory of the vine, Jesus refers to two separate actions that may be taken in reference to the branches of a vine. In the early spring, the apparently dead and fruitless branches are pruned away. Later, during the growing season, all the tiny new shoots are pinched off so that all of the nourishment may go to the main branches which bear the fruit. The first pruning is a very severe act which involves the removal and complete destruction of branches involved. The second is much less. So since only the tiny shoots are pruned away so that the branch itself may not only be preserved but actually be enabled to achieve its full potential, its highest potential, now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Jesus hastens to assure the disciples that they are in the second category, those who are being cleansed, so that they may bring forth more fruit. In fact, his very words to them, though they have seemed hard at times, have been the means by which they have been pruned and cleansed. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Although Jesus has assured the disciples that they are among those who are being cleansed so that they may bring forth more fruit, he warns them against presumption, being presumptuous. He commands them to abide in him as he abides in them. This is not a conditional promise to remain in them, if they remain in him, but a simple command. They can remain in Christ only as he remains in them, enabling them to do so, yet they are responsible to do so and are here commanded to do it. They may simply take for granted Christ remaining in them as they endeavor to remain in him. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it is attached to the trunk of the vine from which it receives the life-giving sap, so the Christian cannot bear fruit except as he is attached to and indwelled by Christ. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, 
The same bring fo- brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus now repeats his statement that he is the vine and adds what is clearly a summary of 2 through 4, that the disciples are the branches. His purpose seems to be to emphasize that while there is a definite unity between himself and his disciples, there is a definite identity. They derive their identity and function only from him as as a Christian. He is utterly and eternally self-sufficient. They are completely and forever dependent upon him. Without and apart from him, they are non-entities. But as they abide in him, they will be productive. If a man abide not in me, he says, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. One of the greatest things that we have to learn is that we have to have the descending order uh, restored where the Holy Spirit moves on us in our spirit, which happens when we are awakened in the new birth to God. And then we have to realize that there's a struggle between the soul and the spirit, and that the spirit needs to come to rule over the soul so that we are in harmony with God's ways. Grace and peace to you. Many people like to get a fast response for prayer requests, so I'm giving you my post office box number so that you can send a letter and make a prayer request or send a donation that way. Write to Abiding in Christ Ministries, Leisha Cantrell, P.O. Box 460512, Denver, Colorado, 80246. You may also listen to the programs again and download them, as well as find contact information on 670kltt.com on the weekday program guide. Click on Abiding in Christ Ministries, Leisha Cantrell, and you'll be right there at my website. Thank you for joining me weekly here at Abiding in Christ Ministries for Kingdom, Covenant, and Mediator.